Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So many exciting things that are going on. It's How about this weekend? You guys, it's really awesome, right? Yeah, there's... Uh, Still reports coming in of the stuff. It was just, um, it was really wonderful. The, the whole Daniel Newton's team, the guys from Bethel, and they came in, and those young men. I got to do their prayer ministries on Friday, and uh, it was awesome to see. They, those young men had invested three years in Bethel. There were mo- most of them, I think five of them were, tw- uh, yeah, five, four of them were 25-ish. Um, one was 30, and so it's like, I'm encouraged when I see a new generation coming in that's, that's really walking it out. <laughs> Praise God. They're, they're so far ahead of where I was. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as we have been preparing for rain, um, there's a lot of excitement about, it seems like we're going from this glory to glory place, but the, uh, the, the excitement around what's building for the whole tent, I invite you all to come to breakfast, 7.30, Sunday morning. Pastor! Are you for real? Yes, I am. And uh, yeah, go to bed early Saturday night. Don't go partying. Amen? I'm I'm messing with you. But you know, um, it's the Lord's Day, right? It's the Lord's Day. So um, what better come and uh, we're going to have a time with Neil. And is, uh, do we think Jennifer Cost will be here that that morning as well? I think, I think. Well then, hey, what's better than that, right? So, come on. So, just uh, 7.38, there'll be breakfast time, uh, 8 to 9.15, we're going to look at uh, what is it in this preparation for preparing for rain and the tent of meeting. If you think about it, you might want to look at some scriptures on the tent of meeting. There's a reason when Joshua, when Moses would go after his tent of meeting times face-to-face with the Lord, Joshua would stay behind in the tent of meeting. How about that? All right? And then, of course, 40 years later, you know that he ends up leading the whole thing into the promised land. So there's something really powerful about meeting with God in the tent and being prepared. But if you're not prepared for what's coming, um, let's take a couple of natural examples. Remember seven years ago to the day when this Hurricane Ida hit, Hurricane Katrina hit down in Louisiana. We got family in, in, in Louisiana. But they spent, I don't know how many billions of dollars building the levees, building up the pumping systems. And guess what? Praise the Lord, right? They held. There was one place in the Mississippi area that one of the levees let go, but it, they, it's, an, it's an amazing testimony. You build a city below sea level, and then you wonder why the sea comes in, and, and duh. But, and so, um, but they have engineered this thing, and praise God, because I, I was thinking, oh, Lord, this is really going to be something, a Cat 4 storm coming on. And, so, and there's a lot of damage and power's out, but um, praise God. So what are, they prepared. There was a preparation for the rain, for the storms that are coming. And so in the natural, we know this in Matthew, or you're familiar with the Scripture, but if you want to turn there in Matthew 7, um, this is a rabbit trail, but I think it's okay. We'll, we'll go there. Matthew seven twenty four, building on a solid foundation. If you're not built on the solid foundation of Christ, when the storm comes, it's, uh, it could cost you your life. And so anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 
Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. And we know that Jesus is the cornerstone, right? He's the rock, right? And anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. I think Adam, I think Abner said, you're just dumb. If you don't know Jesus, you make really, there are wise people, but you make a lot of dumb decisions. And you wonder why it doesn't work out well. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is foolish. Like a person who builds their house on sand. When the rains and the floods come, the winds beat against it, it will collapse in a mighty for the touch. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for the taught with real authority, quite unlike other teachers of the religious law. So in the preparation for what's coming in the earth, um, you'd almost have to be really, really not informed at all biblically to not see what's happening. Just go online and look at all the circumstances of the, the, the world's in chaos. The, the nations are in, in chaos. The seas are roaring. The, uh, someone came with me, showed me a, a exponential rate of, her, of earthquakes that are taking place, which is one of the signs. They're now seismically, look, I'm getting electrocuted now, seismically the number of events that are happening. Um, and Jesus said there would be one of the signs that you would see, right? Uh, there's so many that we've covered before. So this, it's time to be ready. Once you're ready, um, but if God shows up in a particular place, it's the, we've talked about this, Neil, it's the Ananias and Sapphira stuff. If you're not ready when God shows up in the place that he's pouring out and you're unprepared and you're living like the old man in that situation, you can die. Remember, here's, remember, Peter was a liar, <laughs> right? Look at Acts chapter, remember, he denies Christ three times, I don't even know him, right? And now here's Peter after Pentecost and Ananias and Sapphira had come in and they, they lie, quote, to the Holy Spirit about their offerings, and he drops dead, and then his wife is brought in, and she, he asked, the, or Peter asked, the, so how does Peter, the liar, who's now been redeemed after Pentecost, he's now, what happened? The season changed. In that move of the fear of the Lord, in that season, in that place where fear of the Lord and the church was added to 3,000, 5,000 people a day, right? What happened? Because the season had changed. It's not the same season. And so when we're praying, come, Holy Ghost, come, and let the revival come. And if you're playing around in your old season, I'm telling you, be very, very careful. Right? For all of us. And who, those who much is given, much is required. That's why we who teach, you take a different test. And that's a scary thought for me. <laughs> so pray for me. Praise. You know, because we, you know, it's one thing to get up here and preach, and then it's another thing to make sure you're not walking in any form of hypocrisy. And I certainly don't want that for any of us. Okay, so we're going to prepare for rain. There's a lot of excitement happening. The power poles are going in. One's in. More's coming in. We got the power hooked up for the tent yesterday. Uh, the tent's going to be arriving in about a week or so. Um, wow, there's just a lot of motion in the ocean. Many wonderful things and miracles under the tents when we've done them in the past. And this is the first time ever that Neil felt the Holy Spirit said, you can put it on a church property. This church probably was specific. And so, again, pray for us, okay? There'll be lots of opportunity for people, I'm not prophesying, but when you're 24-7, lots of people, many of them unchurched and not 
pre-Christians, maybe before when they come, uh, there's a whole lot of opportunity for people to annoy you. It will test your flesh. And I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, let us walk in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. All right? We, so you pray for us. Let, and then there's, you know, the enemy hates it. It's the battle you fight after the battle you win. We had a, an awful Monday that the Lord redeemed. But, you know, Sunday night, I went like, whew, hadn't had much sleep all weekend, but God, praise God. And Monday night, 3 a.m., we got robbed, right? And they, they came in, they canvassed the place. Um, we got them all on film. It's, they, they're, go, they're going down. We got facial recognition, all that. So I spent some of the morning with the detectives here, and, and then curses started flying, people calling. And it's just like, man, we must be doing something really right. Yeah, but, you know, but if, you, if you'll open your eyes to see what's going on, picture prophetically, right, Duke Power's coming in and they're bringing in the power lines, they're, they're, they're radar mapping all the underground stuff, everything, everything in its right place, where it is, we can dig here without damage, the lights are going in, greater lights every which direction, then the enemy comes and he tries to steal your stuff, you're really dumb to steal from God, you really, you know, you just, you, Wow. And if you saw these characters on film, I'm not going to go there because it, the detectives were laughing themselves out. It was like, oh, my God. Look. Anyway, so when the devil starts overplaying his hand and starts cursing at you, you know, it's like, okay, praise God. We're on to something. So let me start tonight. Um, I've been pretty wound up, so let me see if I can't get focused here. Okay, we're on week three, which is the biblical challenges of our culture today. I've, I've kind of... I've tried to pick, obviously, I only have about an hour to do this, so I wanna, I'm going to run through it, and I've given you more information than I'll cover, but I really would hope that you would look at these things. If you look at the building blocks on the preparation for rain, one is, what is your legacy? If you were to die and tomorrow we were to have your funeral, your memorial service, and people get up with the, with the mic, what would they say about you or me? It would be really good to think about that right now, then, then, because it's too late then, right? So, and actually, Paul does an amazing job. All of, I, I spent, I think, four weeks, I can't remember now, maybe five weeks, on the legacy of Paul telling his, his spiritual son, Timothy, and I've captured some of that from my old sermons here, on what is the legacy of faith. So, I wanted us to look at, what's your legacy? What, what, what will people say about you? And then, even more importantly... Um, what does heaven say about you? What does hell say about you? That would be really nice. I, I'll tell you what my job description is. When Jesus said, in first, when Paul said, it was actually John, John, 1 John 3, 8, when he said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John 14, 12, he says, now you go and do greater works because I've gone to the Father, Right? So one of my jobs, I says, I want the devil to be so fed up with me that, you know, it's like, and I'm taking back kingdom places everywhere. That's why I, I, I love to invest in prayer ministry. And I love it when we can see people find freedom and the devil loses ground. And then, because that impact of their entire, think of all the 70 people that are in their sphere of influence as an average, when that person gets well and set free and what happens? They influence more in the kingdom. There's this, there's this collateral blessing. So, so knowing what is your legacy now, 
um, is really, what would they say? They say, such an honest, loving, faithful, hardworking, you fill in your blanks. So let's turn to page 35, <laughs> second page. Um, it, it, turn to your second page. It's labeled 35 at the bottom. That's from a handout I had, so I didn't change the labels because it would have been a mess. So building your legacy of faith. In the paragraph there, everybody got a copy? We got enough? Or, or do we need more? Uh-oh, we ran out? Oh, okay. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Okay. Without ever trying, you're modeling values. I loved what... Did, did you get cut with Abner's opening Sunday morning? He said, I didn't plan to do that, but you model... For, he was, it was really... goes, man, I don't know why, but I've had people call me and say, man, we got really convicted. It's like, what are you modeling before your children? What are you modeling before others at work? Um, what's your language like when you're not around Christianese? What's, um, what do you model for your children? Is the Sunday morning sports more important than being in church? Um, you've got, these, are, these are things that so he, he really asked the question. It'll demonstrate where you really believe God is. And if you model for your children, for example, that we don't need to go to church, or we, you know, we're going to go on the boat, we're going to do this, we're going to go play golf, we're going to play, and, uh, but then we want them to, we wonder why later they're not in church after they grow up. It was just a really convicting part of, um, well, that sounds just very religious and controlling, Pastor. Well, maybe. Um, but you are modeling values, right? I was really disappointed. There was a lady that was challenging. She was a nurse. Saw it before I came on. There was, there came, she was challenging the school board. She said, I'm a Christian, and you guys are demonic. And then she started swearing. And I went, I go, oh, man. And it was not good words at all. And they finally cut her off. She lost the whole message because of what she modeled. And so, so this is a, uh, what are we modeling and what are our values? What are your values when nobody else is around? Do you cheat on your taxes? Do you bilk, you know, do you overcharge? What, what is it? When you find out you walked out of the grocery and they, they missed something and you owe them 10 bucks, what do you do with that? Wow, well, I got away with it. No. These are the kind of values that when, when, we, st when we ask the Lord, um, what is it that you see, Lord, that I want to be before you, a man of integrity? That's why when Nathaniel walked up to Jesus, right, he says, a man without guile, a man of great integrity. Like, wow, can you imagine the Son of God saying about, about somebody? <whistles> Come on. So these are the things, when we look at legacy, these are the things. I'm going to move right along. Well, when you look at the background of First and Second Timothy, um, the Apostle Paul, he really invested in Timothy, but Timothy invested in Paul. We know that, um, number one there, it was AD 64. He's released from his first imprisonment. Paul goes to Rome after two years of house arrest, and Timothy is listed in the three to four people that are with him. So he'd spent some time. He was willing to get circumcised, number two. Like, Wow. He, because he was so supportive of Paul, and they were still ministering to many Jews. And if that was going to be a stumbling block for this Gentile, so th this is amazing that he was willing to go that, dire that direction. We also know that 
Timothy did not have a spiritual father in the mix other than Paul. He had a, I mean, biological father was not spiritual. Number four was, we know that there were um, certainly important people in his wife. We know that his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and there was significant input there. We see that from 1 Timothy. But in the midst of it, Timothy is helping Paul with these churches that are an absolute mess. Sexual immorality, worshiping idols. Uh, if you look at Ephesus, Timothy actually becomes the senior pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's very young, and that's why he says, don't let anybody call you young, and he tells him how he ought to be. But if you think about it, Ephesus is where the riots broke out, right? Diana was the worshiper. She was the goddess. They made all the silversmiths, and Paul comes in, and either revivals or riots break out, or sometimes both, right? And so, Timothy is in the midst of all that, and um, he served, number seven in the bottom there, he served Paul for 19 years. How about that? And his character is stated seven times in all those books I listed there about a man of character. So his legacy was pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, he also discipled uh, new believers. You can see that in number eight. Turn the page. He, jo he joins Paul at Corinth. He's trusted with the monies. He's trusted with an envoy. He goes to, he's sent by Paul to, to the church at Corinth to do some correctiveness and it appears that he was not very successful there. And that might have what triggered, don't let them say you're too little. Don't be timid about who you are. And then he sends Titus, his other spiritual son. And Titus, to me, was a uh, kick-butt-and-take-names kind of a character because he is successful. And uh, I don't know what his character was, but he was another spiritual son. And there's only really those two that are listed there of any significance. So we're on the second page, 36. At the top there, the trusted envoy to the troubled church. Um, he was also, if you look at number 10, he appoints Timothy later to be this pastor over this strategic church at Ephesus, a church in revival. If you read the book of Ephesians like we have, it's really an, an amazing statement of where we are. It's the one new man. It's the fivefold ministry. It's, uh, I would encourage you to read the sixth chapter. It's the spiritual warfare chapter in six. So it is like, that was an impressive church, and it's, it's really, there's a warning to them when he's getting ready to go off to Rome. Remember, he was going to go be, and stand before Caesar. Paul warns the elders at Ephesus in the book of Acts that when I leave, the ones that are going to come in, the wolves are going to come in and destroy the flock. So, guys, stand, stand firm. And so, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful testimony of the spiritual disciplines, the legacy, the transference of anointing, the desire to walk this out, and the commitment that both of these men had towards each other. So First Timothy, look at, um, he, he starts to give instruction in, in A there, just below 10. First Timothy AD chapter 1, it says, be an example to all believers, what you say, the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. That's a good word from, let them, right? Do these things, Timothy. My son, you're a true son in the faith. B, don't let them teach error. Correct them if there's error. Some people, their motives are wrong. They miss the whole point. Paul's confession reveals the painful lessons that are usually the doorways to these opportunities of, of what happens in destruction. Importance of personal prophecy. That's why we embrace. I was so excited. See, I know a lot of your stuff, right? at least pieces of it, or what's in your heart, and what you're praying for. 
So when Abner goes around or Daniel and the team goes around and they don't know, and then I hear the prophetic words or the encouragement, right? Now, it might have got you a little excited like, ah! Did I get you? Praise the Lord. Yeah, some people, I was scared out. (laughs) But others were like, no, there was an impartation. And so, so I'm... You'll be okay. Just you know, but but the point of that was when the words come out prophetically that reinforce. And then I was privileged Saturday night, ten thirty at night. Abner's getting ready to say goodbye to Daniel Newton and the boys. They're going to go minister at Northwood in Whiteville Sunday morning, Sunday night. He goes, "You need to pray for me." So then they sit me down. They sit Abner down, and for the next half hour. Whew, and Katie, yep, and, and, uh, and also Leanne, Leanne and uh, Lenora and Melissa. And the words that were spoken, these guys don't know our history. But I'm telling you, the word I got, Sarah's going to translate it for me. She has it on the microphone. And so the next year is going to be an explosive year for Global River. He's told that I was told... You've seen a lot, because I remember I did their prayer ministry, I gave my books, they said, you've seen a lot, and I have, praise God, because you haven't seen anything yet. Get ready, because, and it's like, and, and get ready, you need to disciple, disciple your people, because there's going to be people coming in that are broken, that are needy, that you're going to have to have mature, discipled believers in your midst who can father and mother these people. That's why we're doing this. I said, well, we're doing a discipleship class, praise the Lord, okay, so... Anyway, I'm just, again, this is part of that excitement of what I think the Lord is doing in our legacy. All right, look down for, uh, chapter 2 and 3, and we'll quickly hit these again. It says, I want to I deal with this because I just heard it again today about some folks, like people that um, don't understand. First of all, there's no bride that doesn't have wrinkles or spots yet, okay? Including this bride. I don't want to bubble, burst your bubble, y'all. Um, but we're working on it, right? We're, we're, we're working on it. And so, but he said, I'm going to have a bride that is not spot or wrinkled, right? Um, and so, so there would be those that would be critical, and I've heard this before. Um, people have left the church over tithing, because we, we believe in tithing, and I'm going to give you the biblical basis of that. We've left, had people leave the church because there's women in ministry, right? And so, these are, these are areas that, so when... And remember, we've talked about this before, that there are things, there are hills that you bleed on, and there are hills you die on. If you want to tell me Jesus is not the Son of God, you're about ready to have a death fight. But if you want to argue about women in ministry, guess what? I think you'll still go to heaven and you'll find out you're wrong when the first woman meets you at the gate. It might not be Paul or Peter, right? And so... But that's not something that's going to cause a, a law, right? So there are things that we fight on. And this is where there's tension in Scripture. There's books being written, right? There's one written this weekend by Daniel. He shared it. That says there's tension in Scripture, right? Well, let's look at this bottom of page 36. Timothy has this life-altering experience with Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they come to his hometown in Lystra, and that's where you can see that in Acts 16. We won't go there, but there was miracles. In fact, that's the place where Paul is stoned to death. That's Timothy's town is also miracles happening, and Timothy is there. He sees the miracles. It's very likely he saw Paul raised from the dead after he stoned. That's why a young man spends 19 years following this guy, goes to prison, has his life raised, goes, I've seen too much, right? 
And so I know God is with him. It's like the disciples at John 6, when everybody leaves him because he said, got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody leaves and his disciples and they're there. And he says, well, you're going to leave too. He goes, where would we go? We, know, we don't know what you just said, but when you speak, I come alive inside. And so therefore, we stay with you, right? So this is why Timothy was stayed in this fight. And so, but now here, let's look at some of the tension in Scripture. He was marked for ministry. You look at that in B. C, he went from town to town instructing and grew. D, he was the first of all prayer for people in supplication and intercession. You see that in Second Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. All right, let's look at the role of women, F. I'm going to touch on a touchy subject, but I'm just going to give you a quick one. We can spend more time on it. Um, first of all, you know we believe women have a place in ministry, right? We have ordained ministers in our midst, right? And so Pastor Nilsa, Diana, she's, she's licensed. She's going, right? We've got, so there's this, we have others, ordained ministers that are in this house right here now, right? From other ministries and so, so Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 9, we won't go there, Paul is not a sexist and he's not a chauvinist, but he says, I, Paul, believe that women should be in ministry. Well, let's turn there. Come on, we'll, we'll, we'll do it quick. It's too touchy a subject not to look at the scripture there. Come on, look at, go with me to 1 Timothy 2, 9. Yeah, let's pick up. Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's basically women should learn quietly. Number 11. Well, let's begin in nine. We'll just read through nine. I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing. That's, that's okay, right? Amen. Everyone all right with that? Um. You should fix your hair. Well, you should, you know, but don't go overboard. So remember, think of the culture that they were in. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do, right? Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women, I, Paul. Now remember, this is I, Paul. This is both King James, right? I, Paul, do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly for God made Adam first and afterwards, okay. So what we're seeing, remember, the men were educated under the Torah and they were involved in, remember, he's dealing with both Jews and Gentiles at this point, right? So the women were not familiar. So when he talks about women, in, in, remember, in most of the time, we would have the women sitting in one place. We still have this in Nepal. Men sit on the other side of the church. And if there's this debate going on and a woman were to embarrass her husband or get into a debate and they don't understand the, 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 the scriptures or the Torah, it's going to confuse the whole congregation. So what Paul's saying culturally, I believe he's saying, let them learn at home. We want them to learn. He didn't say don't learn. He said, but at this point and where they are, it's not that, but that does change. You know that Jesus had women following him in his ministry, actually funding his ministry, right? You knew that, right? The woman with purple, etc. Okay, turn to the next page. He believes men and women are also equal. How about this? In Galatians 3, he says there's no longer Jew, Gentile, free, you know, male, female, we're all equal, right? Under the, so he, in Galatians, so he writes that in in Corinthians, he writes that in, Tim, in Timothy, but now he says, okay. So, 
Modesty is considered to avoid stumbling blocks. You shouldn't dress to cause somebody else to stumble. Paul says, I don't let women teach or have authority. He didn't say, by the word of the Lord, like he does in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. Or like he says in 1 Corinthians 11, I got this directly from the Lord about communion. So this, or Nepal, I rem- and it's culturally acceptable. When I go to Tanzania or Nepal, I remember in Tanzania, I'm in a Lutheran-type church, and I was going to preach, and the pastor asked me to wear a robe, and he said, follow me, I'll show you how to genuflect, and we'll have all the, I'm like, oh my Lord, I am so out of, I don't know what to do. He goes, that's all right, follow me. I did that to honor him, because that's the culture. If I got in there and said, you're being religious, we don't do that anymore, it's not... It's not like when you're in Rome, do as Roman, or you're in Las Vegas, do it. No, I'm not saying that. But it's like, this is the place where we honor, but at the same time, there's a cultural process, right? Now, are there women in ministry in this time? Absolutely. I've just listed a few at the bottom. Verse 6, Priscilla was a pastor, Romans 16. Junius was an apostle. And in fact, in prison with Paul at various points, they were locked up for their faith. So, when, when we're talking about this women, this is, in our culture, are there any successful women preachers in our culture today? Anybody know Heidi Baker? Joyce Myers? Others, right? Many, many, right? So you'll know them by their fruit. So this is a hill to bleed on, but it's not a hill to die on. And if you're in a culture, there are churches that don't allow it, and yet women are probably pulling most of the weight, and they're teaching the Sunday schools like, where's the men? Yeah, Okay. Hello. So, okay, I touched on that one. I just let you, because that's one where you, the reason I'm taking time here is people could come to you and says, why do you guys in Global River, why do you allow women to be ordained? You can pull out and say, hey, listen, this is not black and white. And I can give you, I can give you scriptural basis on Paul's opinion for the culture at the time. And I can show you scriptures that, so that you have at least an argument that says, you may or may not be right about that. We think you're wrong, and that's why. And so, that's a cultural issue. Then there's things, tithing is another one, which we're going to touch on in a minute. Okay, moving right along. Let's talk about drinking. Church leaders, bishop, pastor, and elder. I'm on that same page. Church leaders, bishop, pastor, and elder. First Timothy 3. It's under G there. You see that? Inner character is more. He starts talking about you know that in the New Testament church, you are a priest and a king, right? Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says you're a king and a priest. We also know in 2 in Peter chapter 2, it says you, this is a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So the covenant promise of the believer in the New Testament, you are a priest. There's no longer a, she, there's no longer a veil between the holy place. You can go right in without any fear of judgment. You Women, men, you're a born-again believer. You're marked by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Ghost is in you. There's no separation unless you want it to be, right? And so this is the place where we want to enter into. So character matters. And then he lists what is the character. But there's, there were deacons in the church. There were uh, bishops or pastors, elders, and deacons. The deacons did a lot of the hard work, and you could be a deacon. Many of the churches we were in still, the deacons are the ones, they take the, some of the lower level stuff. They're, they might be involved in keep taking care of the grass and the lawn. They may be taking care of children and nurseries, and then they work in that process, and then later they, there's a growth. It says, don't ever put a, a young person in the elder position. They need some 
they need some life scars to understand some things, right? And so, and I had a bad experience as a young man. They put, made me an elder too quickly in the Christian Mercy Alliance Church, and I messed some things up. And so, I just want us to see that there's character things, but look at H. Here's another one. We don't believe, there are churches that don't believe that if you've been divorced before, you should ever be in a place of ministry. Now, there are scriptures that says this. It says, you look at it, King James says, the bishop, the elder, the deacon should be a husband of one wife. New Living Translation says, should be faithful to his spouse, wife. And I've had debates with elders in the past that says, I will quit the church if you put an elder in on the board of elders who has been married before and is not a widow. I said, well, we can disagree on that because why do we make such a deal? First of all, is it pre-Christian? Is it post-Christian? doesn't matter. It says, if, what if you've been a murderer like Paul? Was Paul an elder? Hello? He murdered Stephen. He locked up people, right? When he repented, he became an apostle, Okay, um, are there any drug addicts that have come out of their stuff? Anybody who's been a thief in the past? Anybody been in prison before? So that doesn't disqualify you, but that does. So again, this is a hill to not it's just to bleed on. I believe that you know we don't have one wife that eliminates polygamy, right? That eliminates you know we don't have concubines. That's called fornication, right? Um, we don't do that, and so. We, 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 this, is, this is the place where he's saying, look, in the New Testament church under the new covenant, which is a better covenant, you should be faithful to your spouse. And then it goes on. Let me touch on another tetchy one here. Uh, not given to wine. No, you see number one there, G1? And actually it means, I'm going to try, me paroninois, not being next to or besides wine is what it literally means. Now, this is a debate. Miss Addie and I are in the camp with, you don't need to be drinking. There's a reason they call it spirits, okay? There's a reason they call it spirits, because if you drink too much of it, you will do stupid things, okay? But, you know, well, I've heard the arguments, well, a little bit of wine for your stomach would be good, Timothy, and don't be a heavy drinker. I'll leave that in your camp, but I would encourage you I've seen too much damage done when we start to use alcohol as a form of idolatry. I just need to have a peaceful night and I want to sleep well tonight. And uh, Oh, really? Okay. Now, again, this is a hill to bleed on. If you drink a glass of wine, you're going to probably go to heaven. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not after you on that. You're hearing me, right? But I'm just telling you that I don't want anything. Now, you can, you can abuse food, sugar, um, movies. You can, so let's not get locked in. it. Anything that replaces Jesus as the Prince of Peace that you're using to medicate and not using it as a gift from God. Food is a gift from God. Relationships, settling down. All of those are gifts. But I've heard the people say, well, you know, the marijuana is the, the herb of the earth. <laughs> like, what? Come on now. There's no upsides to that. I know I'm touching on a lot of sacred cows here, but I just don't believe you need any of that. And if where we're going, I would suggest you ask the Lord about it. And if it, you want to fast it, fast it. Okay, I've touched on another sacred cow there, but let's keep moving. That's just my opinion. I've seen too much damage. 
I grew up with damage in a family of alcoholism and what it does with DWIs and loss of jobs. It's crazy. You don't need it. Get Jesus, right? Turn on the worship music. Okay. But I'm not going to be overly religious, and I'm not going to say, oh, my gosh, they drink wine. Okay. All right. Next page. We're going to move right along. Oh, my Lord. We're going to move right along. The biblical basis of marriage. Why will court? There's no, no question but go after this one. This, the Supreme Court, there's no, no question, but when I wrote this, you'll notice it's 2015. I left the date on this because when we have people coming in, right now there is a, a plan to destroy churches, okay? And so we need to be wise about this. That's why I'm preaching this and sharing this with you. We have people that come in who believe that homosexuality, there's ordained ministers now in various denominations that are splitting because they're, ord- they're ordaining active homosexuals who are married, lesbians that are married in this town that are in leading congregations. And so when we say, well, how come your church is not loving? How come you're not caring? Well, let me tell you, we, I think we are. And so there, and you've heard me preach this. When, when a person comes in and they're shacking up and we find out about it, we're going to sit them down and say, look, that's called fornication or adultery. If you're involved in drunkenness on Friday nights, we're going we're gonna to sit you down lovingly and say, that's not going to be allowed here. I've told you this is not christianmingle.com where you come in and hook up, find somebody you can sleep with. And we've run people out of the church. When I find out about it, I run them out of the church. We sit down and we love them and we ask them, please, this is the scripture, but you cannot do that here. That leaven will come in here and destroy this church, and we're not going to wink at it. We're not going to be insensitive because there are those that come in. We've had lesbians and homosexuals come in, and we love them. We share the word, but it would be not loving to them to not tell them the truth. Now, it's not, well, don't you care? Don't you love? Why aren't you more compassionate? I am. It would be If you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you will stand before God and anyone who's in this lifestyle. And it's not just that. We make such a big deal on that. But you know what? It says all liars, those who are greedy, all those who fornicate, those who are homosexual, effeminate, they're outside the gate and they will be in the lake of fire. Read the last two books of of Revelation. Go read Corinthians. Read Romans chapter 1. So I like it when, if you ever get into this debate, and I've had it with many people, Pastor, don't you care? Don't you, you know, the world's changed. Why haven't you, why haven't you changed? I said, because the Bible's the same yesterday and today. The Lord doesn't change on this. And so the things that did change, he changed it. You know, you don't have to get circumcised now. You don't have to wear curls. You don't, you know, we don't do those things now. This freedom that's established in the New Testament but the word is the word. When they try to pin him down, I have to argue. I love, I love what many, Billy Graham always said. When they try to pin him down, what's your opinion on this, Billy? The Bible says. The Bible says. You want to get mad at the Bible? I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I believe it's the word of God. I like what Abner said. Are you closed mind on this thing? About I, I'm absolutely closed mind. Why would you debate it? Why would you? It's, it's black and white in the book. You will not in, read Galatians chapter 5. 
If you walk in the Spirit, you'll produce love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control. If you walk in the flesh, which is witchcraft, immorality, perversion, drunkenness, it lists the whole gamut and says, and other sins like this, there's none left, right? If you practice that lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Now, there's nobody perfect. So, like, you mess up, which, man, we do, right? It's like... Why was I in that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord, my heart, my, my mode. Oh, gee. You repent. First John 1, 9 eliminates your sin as far as east is from the west. Thank you for that. Right? So it's, it's lifestyle. It's not, it's not the, man, I messed up that time. Boy, you know, I thought I was having a glass of wine. I got buzzed, and it was crazy. And then, oh, God, forgive me. He forgives you. That's why you shouldn't do it. But okay. All right. So let's look about, what about that? What, it says clearly, even though the Supreme Court says it, and, and honestly, this is my opinion, the reason the United States is now a debtor nation and we are making so many foolish decisions is we are a nation that has lost its way. When this, the highest court of the land and the people that are in running these are making these decisions that are opposite of God's law, he cannot excuse it. God cannot bless that. Doug Henry, is Doug here tonight? There he is. Doug read out of, it was out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you want to get psyched, read chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, just 1 through 28. It's all the blessings of God. I'll bless you in your field, your flocks, your coming, right? But then read the remainder of that chapter. Yeah, that'll make you fear the Lord, right? So when we, when we have these things happening, you notice the top, have we evolved? No, we have not evolved. Traditional marriage is between a man and a woman. It was good for, what, 4,500 years, 5,000 years? So we get here, it's, oh, well, God just decided to change it. No, he did not. And so Bible is unchanging. Look at this. It says in the scriptures there where it says, what is the word of God? We know second, right? You know, the word of God is your training instructions, right? You know that scripture? Right? All right, we won't turn there. There are three levels of law. There's the civil law, cultural laws, and moral laws. And I've just listed those. I've preached on this in the past. But the civil law changes. You know, they're now saying that you can smoke marijuana. It's legal in certain states. It used to be against the law. That's the civil law that changes. Before there were any cars, you had to control your horse. Now you've got to control your speed of your car. So the civil laws have changed. The cultural laws and practices, how you greet each other, how you meet each other. If you're in a Muslim country, women are wearing the coverings. If you're in uh, Nepal church, the men sit on one side, the women sit. Those are cultural laws and practices. The moral law, which is the highest level of law, does not change. And that's why, God, you can see there, Christ has fulfilled the moral law. He didn't change it. He actually made it more, um, more restrictive, Right? When it says in the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery, he says, if you look at someone and lust after them, you've already committed it. That's why pornography is terrible, <laughs> right? And so when you look at these, these laws, when he says, well, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, no. He says, when he says, the, don't be angry when you call your brother Raka, if you even call your brother in anger something, you're subject to judgment. So he raised the ante, Right? So this is the place where he hasn't changed at all. And when he said there in number four, marriage is between a man and a woman, 
God made man, Genesis 2, 7. God made woman, 2, 18 and 22. When a man leaves his father and mother, he's joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. Husbands and wives in the relationship. Jesus reiterated that in Matthew 19. Remember he said, that's why a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife. In the beginning, God created them male and female. So this whole transgender deal is another mark of the enemy's plan to destroy identity and destroy God's plan and play God. Okay, so what does the Scripture say about homosexuality? Well, look at the number five there. It's not evolving, and I give you lots of Scriptures there. You can look at from Leviticus to Romans. So there's, there's just, we're going to love the sinner no matter what sin it is, and then we'll tell them how to, we'll help them. We'll do prayer ministry. We'll help them through. We've well, got a halfway house. If you're in addiction, we'll help you. We'll get you help for that. We won't help you stay in your sin. We want to get you out of it so that you can be a, a productive person no matter what the sin is. Okay. I got to move fast. Let's, how about abortion? You know, how about abortion? You know that, number six, right? When they sacrificed their children to the Canaanite god Molech, number six at the bottom of the page there, that's, we, you, we've, there's just no way that you can get around this, right? And th- it's just crazy that uh, people think that you can kill a child. And I think Texas, I heard today from Ter- Teresa, did they pass it? It's, it's through? If, if, if Texas is the first state, heartbeat law, that if the, we're usually around six weeks, if a child has a heart, it's now they've acknowledged a child is a child when the heart starts. Because, the, you'll, you know, they tell you that when the heart starts, God's put the electric signal there, right? Go ask uh, our cardiologist. They'll tell you. They don't know where it comes from. And so it'll be illegal for you to abort a child after the heartbeat's there. <laughs> and there were a large number of children. A lot of women don't understand that. So that's praise God. Come on, Texas, do it. Okay. Um, so we won't spend any more time. Witchcraft, if you, this whole thing today, I, I met with a woman this week doing prayer ministry from another church, and she was, thought that uh, Harry Potter was okay. Um, and so I'm like, wow, read Deuteronomy 18.10. And that progression, I remember being in England when Rawlings was there, and the Covens were celebrating that. That whole thing has, I've never watched one of the movies or read one of the books, but um, when you get to that, it's this place now they're teaching children how to cast spells. If you don't like your teacher, let me tell you what you can do to her or him. And so that's the next progression of this wickedness. Deuteronomy 18.10 will make it really clear to you. Don't go to mediums. Don't go to psychics. Don't go to Ouija boards. Don't. Don't. I'm supposed to tell you don't. It says, tell your people don't. It's an abomination to God. Okay. You know that one. I'm not going to spend any more time there. All right. Next page. Praise God. Wow. Well, I'm not going to list all the other sins that are listed there in Leviticus. Incest, bestiality, adultery, all that stuff. If you read, but Romans chapter 1 is a good, shows this progression of how, of the three types of people. And Romans 1 shows this progression of how sin starts. They stop acknowledging he's creator. Then they invent ways to be more and more sinful. And then they teach others to do the same. And then there is the searing of the conscious. There's this separation. There's no longer the ability to comprehend what is right and wrong. So I just, uh, wow. Okay. Um, 
Next page. The biblical basis of tithes and offerings. I've had people leave the church because we preach that you should do this. And so, and we always say, this is probably the most, um, besides some of the ones I've already touched, I've tried to get as many sacred cows in here so you can look at the scriptures for yourself and be able to not have a debate, but say, look, let me show you the scriptures of why I believe what I believe and why our church believes the way we believe, right? And so, knowing the word which is full of living power, right? And so, if you look at the, the whole basis of tithes and offerings, there are a few subjects that, never, that stir up controversy, but this is one of them, right? When you start touching people about their money, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We know that, right, from 1 Timothy 6.10. So this because of the love of money has strayed people from many things, right? It's that they cheat on taxes, they cheat people, uh, they may cheat their family by working all these extra hours and because they've got to have money. I understand there's seasons Again, I'm not being religious or controlling in this. <clears throat> I remember when we were first married, uh, when I was qualifying for submarines on fast attack submarines, there were 12-hour days plus 14, many, it were like 14, 16-hour days. I was on shift work, seven days on, two days off, seven days on, and the power plant, the submarine had to be manned. And I was only one of four shift supervisors qualified by license to do that. So I had to be there. Now, was that difficult on our family? It was. We had a new baby and stuff. It was tough. So I get it. There are seasons when we got to do it. Those that are being deployed, those that are doing things that have to be police officers, they got to work on Sundays. So I get it. But there are things, there are choices we can make that are not not driven by money or I'm captured by it because I got to have more. It's really a hard issue. Um, Okay. Let's, do, let's hit the scriptures on it. Number one, all scriptures given by inspiration of God there. Bottom of that page, 2 Timothy 3.16. Tithe is 10%. The offering is separate. You can look at Deuteronomy 14. And in the, it, I, maybe, maybe some of our guys who have been trained in some of this, Jewish, maybe Philip knows. I heard someone tell me, when you look at all the peace offerings, sin offerings, when you add up all the Jewish offerings, and that, so a high number. It wasn't 10%. When you add up all the Jewish offerings and that they were required to do, it was like, woohoo. Um, so it's not 10%, but it is now. And in the principle of tithing, this is interesting, 400 years before the Old Testament law was written about tithing, Abraham and Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they all, they all tithe, Genesis 14. And since we're heirs of the, your great-great-great-grandfather was a tither. Abraham. And you're in the covenant of Abraham, Galatians 3. You're heirs and joint heirs of the promise. So if your great, great, great daddy thought it was a good idea, I just suggest you might want to f- follow that legacy of faith. Okay. Um, tithe is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It's a family value. Romans 4, 16, heirs of the promise. Malachi, we've hit that one probably a lot, but turn the page. Malachi, you're a thief if you take God's money. It's not yours. You're under a curse. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but wow, you're cursed. Does that mean cursed here, cursed later? We've talked about the books, right? Um, the, the, read the last part of Malachi chapter 3. It talks about the book of remembrance that's written to those who love God and love to honor his name. When you steal from God, I don't think you're honoring his name. And if there's a book of finances and a book of works, there's already a, 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 a ledger in heaven storing up your treasures in heaven 
as opposed to storing up your boats and cars and stuff down here, right? And so I believe that scroll of remembrance is one of the things. He says, on the day that I act in judgment, you'll see the difference between my children and those who are not. Now, again, this, this is an area, if you don't tithe, do you think you're going to lose your salvation? I don't think that's a hill to, to die on, but it's a pretty strong one. You may not be blessed, and one of the requirements, expectations of people that serve in ministry here is that you are a tither. In the agreement street, which I handed out the first night, in the ministry agreement sheet, when you go down the, the agreements in ministry, why? It's not because we need your money. God's taking care of us all of our years. And if you don't, somebody, God will bring somebody that does. And so, and so there's, it's not about that. It's always, well, pastor needs the money. No, no, I'm really, I just want you to be protected. When he says he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, is he lying? Why can you trust him on salvation, but you won't trust him on that? So if you're going to engage in ministry, I don't want the devil to beat you up. I want there to be a blessing poured out. And man, I could, we took one Sunday, not planned, and people came and said, let me tell you what happened when I started tithing. Boom, 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 right? It was like, oh my God. So, okay. So tithes were brought to the storehouse, the temple. Well, I pay my tithe here, I pay my tithe. I believe the house where you're being ministered to is the place where your tithe belongs. Now, you want to give an offering? My wife and I give offerings to many ministries, right? First house, this is our temple. We tithe here, and we offerings here. That's our first house. This is our temple. And so, but we give to others because when the Lord says this, she tells me we're going to do that. I agree. We, I do this. We, we do it. Okay. He'll pour out a blessing. He'll rebuke the devourer, the book of remembrance. How about this one? Look these two up in number five there. Jesus said you should tithe. Do you like Jesus? Do you think he's telling the truth? Matthew 23, 23, Luke eleven forty two. 42. This whole thing about them, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they get an herb from, the, or they get some steak from, the, from people, they would measure it out, make sure 10%, that's for God, right? And he says, you should tithe, but what about the more important things that you should do? And he lists those there, love and mercy and justice and faith. It's almost like Christianity 101 is tithing, but okay. Um, the re- how about the writer of Hebrews? This one, he, he goes on in Hebrews 7, verses 5 through 9. The earthly priest received the tithes for this new and better covenant. God will test your heart in this. And so it's almost a test. Can you be trusted? Remember he says, how can you be trusted with, with wealthy, wealthy things of the kingdom if you can't be trusted with your stuff on earth? Interesting parable. God sees the heart. There's a mammon spirit. It's actually, you can look it up. It says, the love, you can't serve two masters, God and money. But that word really translated is mammon, which is a spirit, is a demonic spirit. And you can get caught up in that greed and all that. So, okay. The Apostle Paul tells us to excel in giving, number eight. And number nine, we're given insight in the books on the judgment day. Finances will be part of it, I believe. You can look at Daniel 7, Revelation 20, Luke 12, Mark 6, Matthew 6. Um, so how are your books doing? Are they balancing? Okay. The next, the, next, uh, the next page is really a sermon I did in 2013, which was honor the Lord with your wealth. Um, and I, and it's, you don't repeat, but... Um, just look at the bottom there where you don't read. It's not too clear. Sorry. But uh, F, there's a lie here. 
I've heard this from people, especially when I was wandering around with GE executives. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Lie. The one who gave all of his heart to Jesus wins. Right? You know, if you heard that saying, there's no, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, picture this. The guy who is about ready to be baptized, pastor meets with him and says, this is where you're going to give all to Jesus. You're surrendering everything to Jesus. I heard that tonight. Surrender all, right? And so he says, I got to surrender all? Yeah. So he gets ready to go in the baptist tank, the baptismal tank, and as they lower him down, he's got his wallet up in the air. <laughs> I'm surrendering all, but not my wallet. <laughs> That's not all. He's either Lord of all. If he's Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Come on now. Can we trust him? We can trust him with salvation. I can't trust him with the 10%. I, I don't, it just makes no sense. All right. Moving right along. I won't go anymore there. This is a lot about stewardship. The next page, the stewardship of your money and your legacy is wrapped up in that. You can look at the scriptures. I want to spend the last 10 or so minutes on this. Now, I preached this a few months ago. But I, again, I want us to be positioned because we got a whole, every week new people are coming in. It's really wonderful. And so I forgot to have somebody share this evening, didn't I? Okay, well, good. No, 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 Jim. I got, we already picked somebody. Huh? Lisa's going to share in a minute. Lisa, I'm going to tee up before. We'll, we'll end with Lisa. Praise God. Okay. Um, foundation principles of this. This, uh, knowing who you are, when they said, are you guys a evangelical charismatic? Well, what does that mean? <laughs> evangelical charismatic. Well, let's just kind of break these down, and I've tried to lay these out here. The, the charismatic movement is the charisms. There's the gifts, right? It's the distinction. I was so amazed. I told the staff, I think I told the, the intercessors this morning and my staff, I was doing a um, prayer ministry recently, and um, this this person who'd been raised in the church all of her life in a denominational, a traditional denominational church, and she had struggled through a lot of life issues, should have died, didn't, um, was a wonderful, you could tell, just a wonderful, pure, in fact, when I had her share with me all of her, the stuff she was going to ask for forgiveness on and confession about, I said, good Lord, this woman is such a pure, and she had wonderful parents, it was amazing testimony. She had never, ever, because we're going to pray at the end that the Holy Spirit fills the house. We're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. So she comes from the denominational church of the power of the Holy Spirit or who the Holy So when I said to her, have you been baptized in the Spirit? She goes, yeah, I was sprinkled as a Lutheran back in, I said, no, no, no. Um, no, I didn't mean that. Um, we, have you, I don't mean water baptism. Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? She goes, What? What? So we spent, what, the next 45 minutes <laughs> probably walking. I was with Lisa Moore, um, and we spent four. I, I took her through. That's why I really want to encourage you. This is such a big deal, and people will say that you're in error, that you're those devil tongues, that that place is the place where they speak in tongues and those things. You've you got you to have at least six or seven scriptures right in your, your, your back pocket about this, right? Let me just give you a couple of them quick. I'll give you six or seven of them quick. When someone says, why does your church pursue these gifts? Why do they speak in tongues? Why do you put so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit? This is a distinguishing part of both the Pentecostals and the evangelical charismatics. The charisms are gifts, right? And we, so let me give you the scriptures. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends what 
He's promised. I've told you about this before. So stay in the place where they've killed me and they're hunting you. Stay here until the gift comes. I don't know why he couldn't get it somewhere else, but he did. That's where they're going to be in the upper room. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 5 says, when, when Jesus comes, he will give you the Holy Spirit. John, he says, John baptized with water, but there's one coming that will baptize with fire. Right? So Acts 1, 4, 5, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you become my witnesses, right? Okay, Acts chapter 2, the whole thing is Pentecost. And this woman said, we celebrate Pentecost every year. But, huh, okay. Yeah, it's on the liturgy thing, schedule. Then I said, okay, look at Acts chapter 4. Remember when they, they, they heal the person, and, and they tell them, stop doing this, and they says, we're gonna be bold, Lord, give us boldness. And it says there's an earthquake, and the whole place is shaken, and all of them are filled with the Holy Ghost. These are the guys that were just filled in Acts chapter 2. It's probably about several years earlier, but okay. So there's an, okay, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. This is that wrecks the whole past history. Remember, the sheet comes down, kill and eat Peter. No, I can't. They're unclean. It's not kosher. What I tell you is clean is clean. You're going to do this. And then there's this guy, Cornelius. I want you to meet with him. We go to Cornelius's house, and the Holy Spirit falls in the Gentiles, and they start prophesying and speaking in tongues sovereignly. Oh, wow. Tells the guys, um, they're doing to the Gentiles what they did to us. And so, wow. Next verse, Acts chapter 8. Paul, uh, Philip in Samaria. This one is the one that's usually the clincher. Philip is there. He's the house of mercy guy who gives away food. He goes, during the persecution in Jerusalem, he goes to Samaria where the half-breeds are, half Jew, half Gentile. While he's there, he's preaching the kingdom. You read that in Acts chapter 8. He, they preach the kingdom. They receive the gospel. He's water baptized them. They're casting out demons. They're healing the sick. Miracles happening, signs and wonders. Peter and John go, wow, let's go there and figure this out. Let's go see what's happening. They get there, and they see what's happening, and it says, yet in verse, in Acts chapter 8, I think it's verse 9 or 10, it says, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on the believers, had not, New Living says, come upon them, the believers. When I shared this with them, she said, they were believers already. I said, yeah. See, when you're born again, you get the Holy Spirit in your spirit, man, but there is another baptism. Okay, don't, there's another one. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Paul in Ephesus, 12 Greek brothers, 12 Greek believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Man, when I was in my Bible college and I challenged them on this one, it was Baptist Bible College. Oops. It was a traditional Bible college. And so... We had debates. I just gave them the scriptures, and I didn't get a real good grade on the, on the I passed, praise the Lord. So, okay, the, the Acts chapter, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, verse 4, Acts 19? The baptism of John, water baptism. He says, when he lays hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit, they prophesied and spoke in tongues. Well, then they'll say, yeah, but that all stopped. There's a cessationist role. Remember, cessationism, the denomination says, that, well, that all died out with the apostles. When the apostles died, we got the book, 
when I was arguing this point at the college, with, they said, well, the perfect has come. This is the perfect book. We have everything we need. Therefore, that which it was for the early church, the apostles have died. They don't need that anymore. Really. Um, and they'll use that scripture. They'll use the scripture that says in 1 Corinthians 13, this is the argument. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, uh, we see in part, tongues will cease, prophecies will cease when the perfect has come. When perfect knowledge has come. 11, right? It says, the, not yet. How about another scripture? In Ephesians 4, 11, right? It says, the fivefold ministry. Jesus gave gifts to men, pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist. I think I got five. Anyway, five of them there. And so it says, there for the, there to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we come to the full knowledge and the unity in Christ. Is there unity anywhere in Christ yet? No. There's denominations splitting all over the place, right? So it's like, they don't exegete that properly. They don't, they, don't, they don't use the full gospel to look at it. So you need to know those scriptures because this is an area you, where you will have a debate. You're one of those charismatic church. You can probably speak in those devil tongues. Yes, we do, but they're not devil tongues. 1 Corinthians 13, they're either tongues of men or angels. There's two kinds of tongues. Paul, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. Don't forsake or forbid the speaking in tongues. So, I give you this because these are the areas when we start talk, when, the, when the spirit starts moving and the reporter comes and says, so tell me why you do this. Now, you don't have to have a nice polished sermon, but you ought to have some scriptures that you, you ought to have it settled in your own heart as to why you're camped here, right? So that, that way, you, it's, I've settled. This is what I, I know what I believe. It's in the book. I can, I can defend it in the book. Now, you may say, well, there's tension in Scripture here. Yes, there is. But here's why we believe it's okay for women to be in ministry. Paul said this here, and he said this by the Lord here. So we believe that's okay. We believe it's by the fruit of the Spirit. We see their fruit. But if they don't agree with that, my brother down the street, does. it's too bad he doesn't want to put women in ministry. He's blowing his whole place apart because you don't have those beautiful people doing something. Anyway. All right. I'm passionate about this, but I want, you to, I want you to see the foundational principles here. All right, we'll finish in five minutes. Look at this, and then we're going to have Lisa. One, the foundational principles. The Bible is the Word of God. It's foundational. We believe in a biblical view. Number two, salvation, water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit separate us distinctively. They are the distinctive works of faith. There's an entry into the kingdom. Repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. The Father's gift, I listed it for you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you for power, Acts 1.8. Believers receive the Holy Spirit, baptism, and I listed a bunch there. Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was baptized, both by water and by the Father declaring his identity and releasing the Spirit like a dove. Okay, um, couple handouts from dealing with some discussion about the transgender discussion. I have a couple handouts from the Family Research Council, a parent's guide to discussing the transgender movement in education. Okay. I just have a couple of these. And um, because it's, it's an area where um, my grandchildren have come to me and says, I got a, a boy in my class that I now have to give, call him by a girl's name. And so what do I do with that? And so, um, 
And you can go on Family Research Council and you can look this up and get it, you can get a free guide from it, okay? But it's a, it's a very good balanced discussion on how do you talk about these things? It's going to happen. If you have children or grandchildren, you're in school system, and I realize there's rules associated with how you can talk about what you can't talk about. Okay. <sighs> Everybody okay? <clears throat> All right. I know I gave you a lot of stuff. I purposefully went after a bunch of stuff. It has to be foundationally. Think about your legacy. So, Lisa, come here, my dear. Why are you here, Lisa? Do you like us? Praise the Lord. We like you, too. Praise the Lord. Hello. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm the third Lisa. Wow. There's, There's two other Lisas. Yeah, yeah. I'm from California. And I was mostly, I was born and raised in Northern California, but I lived in Southern California before I came here for like many, many years, two couple decades. But um, I left California, and I was in maybe a traditional church. But what I love about this church is because he's not compromising. Yeah, because so many are. Yeah. Hold it up a little higher. So many churches are compromising, so... Um, yeah, but I, I, when I, I came here in January, and so it's winter, and I'm driving up the road, and I looked over, and I saw cars. I think it was Thursday, and I said, I'm going there Sunday. Wow. Yeah, because they're alive, so <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I'm here. Yeah. Praise God. And I never left. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like so many, Lisa's just jumped right in, and uh, and just, you know, pulling on the rope. Some of, our, some of our most recent folks are just really pulling the rope. It's like, yeah, God, thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, Kingdom Men and Kingdom Women, that group is just really exploding too. It's a really good time. So praise God. Let's stand. Next week, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're actually going to pray for impartation. <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm going to ask uh, Sarah and the team, we need some song, what to do, but we're going to come Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know, we'll just ask the Lord what to do, but we're going to, I would, I, would, I would really ask you to study about the Holy Spirit. If you've, I know many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but there's, you can do more than, yeah, I got that back in Ot 6 and I'm good to go. I would really encourage you to get more. <laughs> I, you know, we've been talking about prepare for rain. So um, prepare yourself for rain and ask the Lord. I just, I just went to my prayer ministry, and um, I would encourage you to get quiet with God this week, really quiet, and ask the Lord to show you anything that's in the way. It's so easy for us to see the, the speck in my brother's eye or your wife or your children or your neighbor and miss the whole log in your own. And one of those things that we want to, if we're preparing for rain, is this, Lord, you can be really, really honest with me. You can put your finger on stuff. Um, recently, my family suggested some things that I needed to work on. And I didn't do real well on that first response. <laughs> but I'm, I've been working on it. And, uh, and my wife's helped. And... Uh, <laughs> The Holy Spirit and my wife are awesome powerhouses. And so I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm walking this with you because 
when we get to this place, when the Holy Spirit falls, we don't want the devil to have anything to work with. If you've not been to prayer ministry, I don't know why you wouldn't go to prayer ministry. I, I, you're either there could be a fear of man, fear of, fear of your past, and guess what? That is so not it. So I just encourage you, if you know, we're pretty booked up, but we have other people who can help you. I'm doing two a week, and it's like, hee hee. And so, Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we want to come before, we want the tent of meeting. We want it to be a place where and search for him. We know that, but we, the Lord gives a lot of credit for those who seek and search for him in a, in a dry and weary land. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to unveil the areas of our own life. Show us some of the areas where we're, we've got some blindsidedness. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you'll judge yourself, then he doesn't have to judge you. Right? He doesn't have to take you to the woodshed and discipline you. If you say, man, that's... Listen to people around you. It, they may be telling you stuff, and it may not be the devil. <laughs> so, Lord... I thank you for them, and I bless what you're doing. I bless those that are live streaming. God bless you all. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. All right. <clears throat>